You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast, episode number 242. In today's episode, we're talking about how to mind your money. So much goodness. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So, how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now, with over 2 million downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? James Wilmer here. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Mind Your Business Podcast. We've got a special one in store for you. I brought my good buddy, my returning guest, Mr. Mel Abraham, back for his third episode here on the podcast to talk about something that I've been really wanting to get him on the show for so long, which is all about managing your money. Holy cow, this is the thing that like nobody's talking about. People want to keep talking about making more money which is awesome. I love money. Money, 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 money. Do you love money? Well, you better because you're in business and the function of a business is to make money. But what do we do with that money? Right? If I give you a bucket with a hole in it and I say, fill this bucket with money, more money isn't going to solve the problem of money falling out the bottom. So this is the like unsexy, uncomfortable side of business that most people don't want to talk about. And guess what? That's what we're going to talk about today. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld trying to yell, (laughs) trying to be angry. I'm really angry about buses. What's the deal with buses? All right. So happy Monday. By the time you are listening to this episode, I will be off in Maui. I'll be in Hawaii for a few days. Oh, James, what are you doing in Hawaii? Well, if you've been listening to the podcast, we are going to Hawaii with some of our top affiliates, JV, joint venture partners, and just relaxing. Oh, it's going to be so great to relax. I'm probably going to record an episode or two out there. I'll have some amazing friends out there with me. Maybe I'll bring them on to guess. I don't know. But I'm leaving <laughs> I'm leaving in like two hours at the recording of this intro. So I'll keep it short so I don't miss my flight. But I just, I'm really excited for this episode because it's needed. And you may want to start by noticing your relationship with money and numbers in the context of your business. Like, what do you do when it comes to working with a CPA, looking at your P&Ls, profit, expenses, taxes? What do you do with that money? Bank accounts, all that type of stuff, right? And we see a lot of mistakes. In fact, look, I'm just going to call it out. There's a lot of people out there talking about what we call marketer math, where they're making a lot of money or they're saying they're making a lot of money, but it doesn't mean they're keeping it like any of it. And a big thing is because I just don't think people know how to manage their money. And I'm going to be straight with you for a long time. I didn't either. It made me very, very uncomfortable to look at that stuff. Okay. So it's okay. I think it's kind of like part of our process and it's normal. It's, uh, we don't want to stay here. We don't want to just accept it, but you want to really pay attention. If you, if this stuff makes you feel uncomfortable, like just think for a moment, you're owning a business and the function of a business is to generate revenue, produce sales and create profit. And if you have an unwillingness 
to look at those numbers, to understand those numbers, to know what to do with those numbers, and then to fuel the fire of the problem, you just throw money at it and turn a blind eye to it. You think it's going to go away? It's just going to get bigger and it's going to get worse. So I think this is one of the most important conversations that we can be having together as entrepreneurs. I also think people are just irresponsible with how they spend money. And I kind of like, after doing this episode, talking to some friends and peers, you know, maybe we just need to do more episodes on this. Cause like the way I just look at business, like I know where to spend my money in the business that's gonna bring an ROI. And I think a lot of people are just like spending exorbitant amount of money on things that really don't produce revenue or growth. Like I hear the horror stories of people like dropping $25,000 on a website. What? Why? Or hiring like the super expensive overpriced like $65 an hour person to manage a few tasks in their business. What? No. So I don't know. I definitely want to hear your guys' feedback from this episode on Instagram because we get real and you probably have a ton more questions. Like I think we just opened a can of worms and we talked about a lot of the big mistakes and how we can start to put a better system in place. There are systems out there like Profit First and we really go into, Mel especially goes into talking about how a system is better than no system, but how in our type of business, we need to be looking at some things a little bit differently than what is being taught out there. And I think that's really important. But I'd love to hear from you on Instagram if you're like, okay, this opened up new questions for me. I would love to know more about this. Because even in my seven-figure mastermind level, I have multiple seven-figure business owners are asking me you know, questions. This is new, you know, new level, new devil. How fast can I grow? How many people can I hire? What positions can I hire and how much do I pay? And what happens if like I'm hiring too fast and I don't have the cash? And, you know, these are all fantastic questions. And we've kind of figured a lot of them out the long and hard way and just through experience and trial and error. And I want to continue helping you guys with these things because they're important. So if you don't know Mel, what is the matter with you? Mel Abraham is a very dear friend of mine. He's my neighbor. He's my Fiji Nomotu surf buddy. Most recently, my mammoth ski buddy. But he's also, like what I say in the episode, he's the Swiss army knife of life. He has over 30 years of experience of being a CPA, but he's coupled that experience with also being a very successful entrepreneur and author. So he understands business, he understands marketing, he understands your business, but he also understands like the accounting and money side. And I say it in the episode, but I gotta say it again. If you feel like you've had some frustration with your CPA and the dots just aren't clicking, this is a very common thing because most just don't understand our business, the business model, they just don't get it. And to have somebody that has both worlds and can understand both, navigate both very well is a very special, valuable treat to bring to this show. So it's a longer episode, but it's an essential one. It's a required one. And if you feel like you've been relying on the only way that's gonna help and fix my business if I just make more sales or just get more money in, then you really need to pay attention to this episode. 
So without further ado, let's play that interview with Mel Abraham right now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. I have Mr. Mel Abraham with me in the office Wedmore HQ. Mel, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey. Doing awesome, man. It's always good to be here. Always good to be back on the show. Heck yeah. Third time. Third time. Third time's a charm. First episode, we talked about like the mental mindset beliefs around refunds. Yes, the uh, second one. That was the second one? Second one. Oh, okay, so the first one was episode 115, where Mel shared his DNA framework for thought leadership. How to take the knowledge that's in your head the wisdom, the experience, even when you take it for granted, and how to really create a system, a formula, a framework that is uniquely yours, that that becomes the thing that positions you as an authority in the marketplace. You've helped me doing that a lot. You've helped a lot of our mastermind members do that a lot. Obviously, all of your students. And so that was a great episode. We got great oh, feedback. It was fun. It yeah. was fun. And so we're bringing you back on because, you know, as you get to know Mel, as <laughs> I have, is I like to call him the Swiss Army Knife of life in that, you know, he's been around the block for a while. What can I say? Is, that was an age comment, wasn't it? That was, it was a, just because there's gray in the in the beard. <laughs> well, because the advantage you have is more years than me. Yes, you've had you've had the opportunity to learn, master, and do a lot of things. Yeah, I'm not old. I'm just vintage. <laughs> You're vintage, classic. You know, he's classic. So one of the things is that you have. Well, you were a CPA. Yes, and you know you don't find very many CPAs that also understand entrepreneurship? No, most it, it's true because most CPAs spend their whole life staring in the rearview mirror trying to drive down a curvy road and they wonder why they crash. Okay, well, that's, that's huge. I'm not going to just go past that. Most CPAs spend their whole life, like, you know, being a CPA, focusing on the rearview mirror. What do you mean by the rearview mirror? Most CPAs, they spend their time kind of documenting history documenting history versus versus really looking from an entrepreneurship standpoint we will look at history but we'll use it only as it relates to helping us in the future so so what we really need is financial advisors and people around us as entrepreneurs as thought leaders and 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 people building businesses that are willing to not only look at history but see what does history tell us and then look through the windshield and say, how do we navigate this to grow, to, to go, and to do things bigger, better, and, and more efficient and more effectively? I know there's at least one listener out there that has frustration within the past six months with their CPA, and it, you're just describing their situation completely, where they just don't understand your business. They're sitting there saying, well, you made you know, 5000 last month, which means you're going to make 5000 this month, right? That's an example of that, right? Let's it, look to the past. In the past, history dictates and creates the future. And that's just not how entrepreneurs think. It absolutely is. And, and, and think about it this way. I mean, it's, it's like, say you have a bad year and you go into the CPA and they, they go through all the record keeping and they go, wow, you had a bad year. I mean, like you don't need the person reminding you that you had a bad year and then they hand you a bill on top of it. Right. So it's like, yep. yep. And then they start saying like, so can we expect the same next year? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something we found is that most CPAs that we've ever worked with in 11 years of running the business have never understood what I do. They've never understood it. And that becomes very frustrating. So that's a bit about what we're going to talk about today. What we're actually going to talk about is all the mistakes that I see and definitely the mistakes that Mel sees with entrepreneurs in their lack of managing their money. And this, look, like here's the thing is entrepreneurs are focused on making money, good. 
you know, that's great. But let's say you're like, it's like you have this bucket and you're going around and you're trying to put all the money you can in the bucket. But if you got some big holes in the bottom, you know, how much more extra energy are you wasting just trying to put more money in the bucket when it would be so much more efficient and easy to just plug some of the holes? And so to have Mel here with how many CPA years of experience do you now have? Um, God, 1989, 85. Okay, so more than 30 something yeah, years. Yeah, Over 30 years of experience. I of, started when I was 12. <laughs> of managing money, of being a CPA, and also being an entrepreneur. It's a unique perspective that Mel brings to the table that you will not hear anywhere else, quite frankly. And I'm always picking his brains about better ways of what we can do with our money. And so we're going to go into a lot of the mistakes and also what he and I see are some of the bad advice that's being touted that because this becomes a topic that people are really like adverse to. You know, like people don't really want to talk about taxes and investments and what to do with their money and expenses and stuff like that. And so it's not always talked about. And then there's some bad advice given and it's just kind of followed blindly. And that gets people into some trouble. So we're going to have a really good episode around this, I think. It's it's going to be fun. And I, and I love this, this point that you just brought up, this why should we be so adverse to money issues? Why mm-hmm. should even the money conversation? I mean, shame on us for talking about money. And and, you know, the reality is, is that money is what allows us to have the impact that we want to have to yeah. not just because I, I know what you and Chelsea do with respect to contributing and service and and employing and taking care of people and allowing people to live their dreams without the financial wherewithal, the financial security, without doing those kinds of things, it wouldn't exist. No, not in the slightest. We couldn't. Yep. And I also know how much people waste away their life consumed and obsessed by the need to collect and and make money. And there was a quote I heard years ago, and it's just always stuck with me. It says, you know, money matters most to those that don't have it. And, you know, something magical does happen in your life when you create a new relationship with money and you no longer need to spend your life in service of chasing it. And it becomes a tool that you know how to receive it and you know how to give it away. I'm so grateful that I was willing to work all that through that stuff because I had all of it. I had Mm -hmm. a bunch of my own money stuff. And like not even being willing to look at my taxes, to look at expenses or P&Ls and not even want to talk about it. I don't want to worry about profit margin. You know, like don't show me that stuff. And I'm just going to say it right now. To, I'll be a jerk to you, but it's because I love you. Just like if your son or daughter was standing up in the car and you're driving, you're going to turn around and say, sit down and buckle up because you love them. You love them, right? You love them so dearly. You're willing to tell them the truth. To save their life. And there is nothing wrong with a little bit of tough love. There is nothing wrong with that. And that's where it's coming from. But if that sounds like you, if you're ignoring these things, you are being reckless in your business and it's completely irresponsible and it's not going to end well. It's just not. If you think it's all going to go away because you because you ignore it, it's not. It's just going to get bigger. You know what you resist persists. So what are you resisting in the money conversation in your business? Because it ain't going away. No. And you're right. It's going to grow. It's going to grow into a demon that will just suck you down. Yeah. And, and, and the other, I think the other thing to think about 
something that I've kind of got a lot of people to start rethinking is that we actually are not on a drive for wealth. We're actually, we as in who's we? It, just like, the collective we. You like, know, people think I want to be wealthy. I want to be wealthy, yeah. and I, and I actually don't think that that's really what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. I think we're looking for richness. We're looking for richness comes from experiences. It comes from environment. It comes from relationships, yeah. and the money allows us to enrich other people's lives our lives and the experiences and everything else because i know a lot of people that are that have a ton of money i mean we're talking a quarter of a billion dollars or more they own five airplanes and they're miserable as hell mm-hmm. and they're awful to be around so you know money doesn't buy happiness wealth doesn't buy happiness so why are we so focused and negative on it when we look at it and say we can solve people's problems, one, from a financial standpoint, and two, by expanding our reach. And I'm good buddies with Ramit Sethi, and I, I love him. He's, he's always just like, he's tough love. And I saw a post that he shared recently. I'm trying to bring it up on Instagram. And like, he just said, anybody, it was something like, um, and I have to, I can't find it, but he's talking about, you know, you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be wealthy. You can have a job, you can have a career and learn how to manage your money wisely and invest it the right way. And you can be just as or more wealthy as as any entrepreneur out there. And I just, I loved that, you know, money isn't reserved only for those that become entrepreneurs. No, and and neither is wealth. Wealth is, wealth actually has nothing to do with money. It has to do with time and discipline. Mm. Gosh, it's so good. You know, well, you know that I've got, you know, my son, Jeremy, he's 28 years old. He's got a, a wife that's 24, 25, and they use certain money principles. And, and if they bought their own house in California, which is not cheap to do, they had their own down payment. They recovered their down payment. They've got their first rental property. But, but he's 28. He's 28. Yep. And the, but I just want to I want to hit on this because I remember when you first shared how well your son, and this was before he was 28, mm-hmm. has managed his money and what he's done with his money. It's a direct reflection of the principles that you've mastered that you shared with him from a very young age. And that's really, we're going to take all that from yep. you know 28 years of teaching him tutelage and we're going to put it in 45 minutes here. Sweet. <laughs> so no pressure, right? Yeah. But that, I mean, that's that's a huge testament to where you're coming from and how you think about and manage money, you know? So that's, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I yeah. Love that. Yeah. So, okay. Let's just start here. Like what are some of the big mistakes other than people just trying to ignore the money conversation, resist it? What are some of the mistakes and behaviors that you see entrepreneurs making when it comes to managing their money? I think the big, the big overarching thing is actually not managing it. Yeah. Like yeah. doing nothing. Doing nothing. So what is doing like not manage money at all? look like so just delegating I, I hired a controller I hired an accountant I hired a bookkeeper and what you're doing and I get it we hire professionals to help us in certain aspects of our business but the reality is is that it's our business and what we need to do is have a process where we go check the pulse on the patient from time to time mm-hmm. and and make sure that it's breathing right it's working right and that it's looking right. The idea of, well, my bookkeeper or my controller or my financial advisor will tell me when things go wrong <laughs> um, is usually too late. It's too late because they don't have the mind of the entrepreneur anyway. So like you said from the get-go, they're looking at the past 
anyway, so it is. It's too late by the time they've they've done their whole you know checkup. You know, my grandfather was an auto mechanic, and he he passed away before I was born. But it's it's in my genes, it's in my dad's genes. So from a young age, he taught me everything about the combustion engine, how it works. I mean, I've rebuilt motorcycle engines. But even just having the understanding and knowledge, anytime I took my car... That's why you drive an electric car. I know. Don't get me started. It's, <laughs> it's like blast me's rolling in his grave, right? But the thing is, is, you know the person who like their car just doesn't start and they just take it to the mechanic and there's always that cliche of like the shady mechanic that like tells you it's, it's all this, you know, your, your engine's blown. You need a new O-ring and you need a new this and all that. And they're like, oh, okay. And here's the credit card. Here's the checkbook versus... The opportunity I've always had is knowing it. There's no way anyone could ever like pull the wool over my eyes. You know, I could call BS on anything. I'd say, well, did you check this? Or how do you know that? And it's having that knowledge doesn't mean I need to do it. Right. Doesn't mean I need to get my hands dirty. But to have the knowledge and the distinctions allows me to prevent bigger problems, to prevent getting ripped off, to be getting screwed. And that is the thing is like, I always tell my students, anytime you're trying to throw money at a problem, you're just making it bigger. That does not solve the problem. Having your own awareness, knowledge, and education is going to be the first step. And, and even at a, at a base level, at a base level, asking yourself, what should the numbers look like? You know, I had 20 sales at 1000 bucks, and when I look at the deposits in the bank, I should see... Close to 20 grand in there. Yeah. Just check it. Like, you know, you haven't met my mom, this dear, dear, sweet little Jewish lady that is, we, you know, in Yiddish, you call him a nudge. I've and heard that. No. A nudge? <laughs> yeah. A nudge and a nudnik. Yeah. So what happens is that I tell her, you need to go to the financial. We have the same financial person. But I said, I need, she goes, I don't need to go. I have you. And I said, no, no, no. I said, don't trust me. She goes, but you're my son. I said, I understand that. All I want you to do is to look at the numbers and say, here's what I had. Here's what I deposited. Here's what I took away. And here's what I should have left. Just do the math. Just check it. Just keep checking the pulse. Most people don't even do it. They park and pray and they think that that's going to work. And as entrepreneurs, we're so focused on the vision. We're so focused on the growth. We're focused on marketing. We're focused on relationships that we never check the numbers. And then all of a sudden we get hit with a bill because we haven't put money away for taxes or we didn't realize that there was going to be a common area pass through for our rent, for our property. We're not, no one is thinking ahead or looking at those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then now all of a sudden, I mean, we just, there was at an event, I was just recently at an event with someone who said they were a quarter of a million dollars in debt to the IRS for taxes. Yeah. Look, it's a bad problem to have. It's a good problem to realize that you owe 250,000. Right, right, right. But the challenge is, they said that's the second time it happened. So they didn't learn the first time. So this time. is indicative of a behavior of mismanagement yeah. of their money. It's not like like when you hear those things. And again, this is not to make anyone wrong or bad or nope. shame anybody. But when you hear those, it's not something that everyone should go through. It's just it's indicative of you didn't manage your money effectively and you should be able to pay your tax bill. Mm-hmm. If you're managing your money properly, is that a fair thing to? Without a doubt, without okay. a doubt. And, and even beyond that, I think what we really need to do is realize every business is a partnership. 
and that partner that you will have <laughs> is the government. Yeah. And so there's two ways to look at that. The one way to look at it is, is damn it, I got to pay a percentage to the government. The second way to look at it is say, damn it, the government's subsidizing a percentage of my expenses. So there's two sides of this is, is I got to earn money and make money, but at the same time, I want to maximize the tax deductions that I am entitled to to make sure that I reduce the tax. Our tax obligation is to pay the appropriate amount of tax. We're not obligated to pay the maximum amount of tax, so we take advantage of every tax rule that goes in our favor. Right. We have to. We have to. We have to. It, oh, man, that's so important. Now, I know I've, my, I've made my fair share of mistakes in the past. Obviously, the, the first one being just like not wanting to look at any of it and, you know, just not understanding enough about taxes to, you know, but lest, you learn your lest the audience think that that I am infallible. Let me just be clear. In 2005, I got caught up in a Ponzi scheme and wiped out one third of my net worth. Everything that I owned was taken. Yeah. OK, so. The point of that is, and I used to not talk about it because it was embarrassing. I was the kind of guy that they would hire to put these guys in jail, and I got taken. And so it was embarrassing, but the realization is this, is that there's two sides of this realization. One is, if it can happen to me, it can happen to anyone, because I should have seen it. Mm -hmm. And there's things that I did wrong. There's some lessons that I learned in that process. But the other... The other side of it is being an entrepreneur within 18 months, we not only recovered what was lost, but we surpassed it by 150%. So the tools, the mindset, the skills that you have as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, allow you to work both sides of the equation, the expenses and the revenues to make it work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so good. So most people... Most entrepreneurs don't have any system for managing their no. money. I know you've shared stories of clients you've worked with and they can't even tell you how much they've made or how much they have or where it's going or anything like that. And that's pretty scary because it is yeah. really like flying blind or looking through the rearview mirror while you're driving your business. But there are systems out there. Yeah, there are. And, um, and I think one of the systems that a lot of people are following is... Michael McCallowitz. I, I hope I got that right. His profit, the first, profit first, profit first system. Yeah. Now, I know we have some thoughts about about that because we hear a lot of people that are using it. I'd love your thoughts on it. So, first things first. Anything that you use that is bringing more management and consciousness to your cash flow is better than nothing. Yes. Okay. So. What he's bringing into the game with Profit First is this idea that, look, bad thinking got him in trouble. He mismanaged, he owed taxes, he owed things, he ended up bankrupt, and it was about financial management. And the whole perspective of Profit First was really around behavior change and saying, Mm -hmm. how do we affect habits or create something that maybe is easier so we don't get ourselves in trouble? So I think that the overall philosophy behind Profit First is great, that we're finally going to at least have some system in place to check the pulse on the patient, to make sure that we know where things are going and that we've got things allocated appropriately. And, And at the high level, what is the system really focusing on? The way I I see it is the system really is focused on a couple things. One is you have income that's coming in Mm -hmm. and that you 
prior to the income coming in, you already know, here's my allocation percentages. So I'm going to have a percentage for profit. And the idea is this, is that most entrepreneurs, in his mind, he saw them taking what's left over in the business. So you'll, you'll earn money, you'll pay expenses, and whatever's left over, that's what I get to take. And when you do that, a lot of times you your hourly wage is like a buck an hour. Okay. It's slaves wages is, is that's how most people are doing. Yes. Doing it. Okay. Yeah. So now, and you, and you would agree that that's probably not the best way or well, I think that it, it depends. So okay. it depends on the stage of the company and that, and we can talk further about this. Sure. I think that what we need to realize is that there's two sides of the equation. There's the revenue, the money coming inside and the expense, the money going outside. Yes. But there's also something else that he doesn't really mention a lot in the book that is what we call the investment side. Mm. And so what we need to do over time is start looking at everything we do in our business and say, how is this an investment for the future? Right. And what I mean by that, an investment in the future is something that comes back in multiples. So spend a dollar, I get two back. Spend a dollar, I get yes. three back. Yes. So what I'm hearing then is like, so let's let's make this really specific for anybody that's like, yep. oh my gosh, I'm already getting overwhelmed. So let's say I run a business and right now I'm seeing an average income of $5,000 a month. That's like gross you know, revenue that's coming into the business in a model like profit first, the allocation, I would assume the first is a to the profit of. So his perspective is that you take the profit first, that hence the name. So, okay. so in, but in, how do you determine what is the profit? So is he's got a, a table in there. Okay. He's got a table in there. And so at first he says 5% profit off the top. Okay. Okay. So 5% mm -hmm. profit, when you're starting out, he's got a table and it's graduated, so it's not consistent depending on the size of the business, mm -hmm. but 50% to the owner, 5% to the profit, and then a percentage, I think it was 26% or so, goes towards the taxes. But 50% goes straight to the owner. That's, that's for owner's salary. Okay. Okay, got okay. it. And so that's the general idea. Yeah. Okay. And isn't there different bank accounts that it's like yeah. immediately? So in order, to, yes. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but uh, no, you're okay. Yeah. So in order to make it easier, the way that he has it done is let's make a separate bank account for the profit. Let's make a separate bank account for taxes. Separate bank account for you know owners comp, and then an operating account. So when a dollar comes in, you know every week or whatever, you allocate it to the different accounts. And so now, out of sight, out of mind, basically. So when you take the profit out of it, so profit first, you take the salary out of it, and you take the taxes out of it, what's left over is the operating capital is what you get to pay expenses with, is the way, the way it works. So now, what he's done is he's cut away everything that you're going to need for the future and you, yeah. and what's left over is what you get to operate the business with. Okay. This is where we're saying a system is better than no system. Without a doubt. But there is some pitfalls to this or challenges for the growing entrepreneur in that you're drastically limiting your investment resources that will give you the most growth, that can give you the most growth. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that there's times that we need to reinvest into our business for growth. And if we're trying to take all the profits out first and our income out, it can reduce our growth rate. So I think that the mindset's right. The percentages might be need to be adjusted. And we got to realize that 
if I go and put, just like you talk about, if I'm going to go spend $1,000 on ads and I don't like the word spend because it presumes that it's never coming back. Right. The idea, if I'm going to go invest $1,000 in ads, the reason we're doing that is we're going to get 1000 plus back. Exactly. Well, wait a second. So instead of taking $1,000 in profits and getting it out of the business or taking it in salary and getting out of the business, if I could take that thousand and put it in and get 1500 back, why would I do that all day long? To infinity and beyond. Yes. This is, I think this is so important because you've heard me say before that when you make your decisions, your actions in your business dictated and predicated on your current circumstances, which includes how much money, what's your budget, then you will repeat your circumstances, which means we're talking about stifling growth of the company. And when my beautiful wife came on to work in the business, one of the first things she noticed, she was like, (gasps) what the F are these Facebook costs? Why is Facebook (laughs) charging you $750 a week, a day? What is going on here? And And that was the next question. She goes, and how do we get rid of this? And I just laughed. I was like, okay, calm down. Because this is actually, how do we increase this? And she's like, no, no, we got to get this out. We got to cut this out. And I had, it took a while, but I had to explain it. And I use this analogy, and it's the same analogy I use here with you. As I said, let's say you're in Las Vegas, and there's a broken slot machine. It's broken in the sense that every time you put in a dollar, you get back three. Would you be asking, what should my budget for this slot machine be? <laughs> or would you be sitting here saying, how long can I stick dollars into this thing before they pull me out of the casino? And that's exactly how we see things like paid advertising. So many, you know, because that's the thing is the way I look at growth in a business is that you've got to give in order to get. If you want more leads and more revenue, which that's what growing a business is, it's going to either take one of two things, money or time. It's either your time, of course, or an employee's time, which then goes back to, to money. So when you're limiting the amount of money that can go back out for that growth, do we then have to go back to our time if we want to grow? And we're limited by how many hours and how much energy we have in the day. So we've already limited our growth. I see that as a real problem. It's, it's a huge problem. And I think you nailed the real crux of it. And it's the mindset in which you approach it with. So yeah. in one case, we're looking at it as I'm spending the money and not looking at what's coming back in return. There's mm-hmm. two sides of the equation. So I do believe that what we really need to start looking at is every dollar spent. So we're examining every dollar. I'm not saying not to do that. But we got to look at what does that give me in return, an ROI, a return on investment, a return on on the dollars. Because when we do that, we can make smarter decisions in going forward. Let's I want to sit here for a moment and, and actually see if we can create some distinctions on the different types of expenses that we can have in our business. Right. So there are I don't and I don't know if there's a term for this, but what is a type of what would you call an expense like Facebook ads, where the more you spend, chances are the more ROI you're going to see? The Well, so there's the, this concept of variable expenses, but it, it doesn't really fit per se. Yeah. This is really, you know, there's it's not the, even an expense. It's just a, an it, investment. It's an, it's an investment. And I think that there's investment level expenses. In other words, yeah. you can directly track them to sales. Yes. And then there's those expenses that are more general in nature. The rent on the building that you're in 
isn't going to go up whether you make a million or a million and a half. Right. So we'll get to those. But I like this first one. So there's what we're going to call investment expenses. Things that when you put it out, when you pay it, it's indicative in somehow, some way of growth. And I'm going to give you more examples of these. And if if any more come up for you, please let me know. Because I see multiple. There's there's a lot of them. There's a lot in our business. So first of all, paid advertising, any type of paid advertising Mm -hmm. that we're seeing. In other words, the more we spend, the more it's fueling business for us and that we see a direct correlation with it. Another one is we have a sales team. So when we pay them more money, it's only out of performance of them having generated more revenue in the business. Without a doubt. There are certain things that we do, like we have revenue generating activities from launches to events. And there are certain things that we do that win and they cost money to do them. But when we do them, it increases performance and conversion from those activities. I would see all of those as some form of investment expenses and that they're directly tied in some sort of proportion to revenue growth. Without a doubt. And as long as you have a system in place, we have the ability to make the right decisions about those expenses. Because look, like you said, all of a sudden, Facebook's ads algorithm changes and now the return that we're getting is is not the same. So we're going to drop that and we're going to change it and we're going to do this. It's a constant adjustment, even the sales team, even an event, all of those things, but they are measurable. And when we measure them, we can manage them. And if we can then directly correlate them to sales and revenue and, and cash flow, things change because Mm -hmm. now I know what dials I got to turn up and what levers to push. And I mean, I want to just hound on this for a while because I think this is where we see like, this is a real problem if you're going to limit the amount of investment expenses, if you're going to put a cap on it. I mean, you have a range to work with, but if it's, if you can see a fast ROI, I mean, there are people that have Facebook ad funnels that are, they're spending a hundred bucks a day and they're making 300 24 hours later. So it's also a very short cycle. It doesn't need to be something where I need to wait six months to see that ROI in this type of business. So it's not like we need to, to but well, I, okay, this is how, only how much I can invest into this investment expense account. Usually that money's coming right back in, which gives you a lot more flexibility to do so. But the way I look at it is before we were doing Facebook ads in my business, the only way people were finding me was when I was doing YouTube videos and blog posts. So what does it take to make the YouTube video? A lot of my time. Yeah. So I, again, was in order to grow the business, it was costing me my time. And the moment I switched to focusing more on paid advertising, I got my time back and grew even more. Because you're leveraging. Think about this. Those investment expenses are like little foot soldiers doing work for Mm -hmm. you. They're Mm -hmm. doing heavy lifting for you and they're leveraging your time, your energy, and the work that you're doing. It's what creates the momentum in your business. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if there's any type of questions we can be asking to really identify what those investment expenses are, but is there an ROI directly or indirectly? If I invest in this thing, pay for this thing, purchase this thing, spend money on this thing, will this have a direct impact on sales, revenue, conversions, performance? But I think that's the question. Is, can I track the spending of this dollar directly to sales or different way to ask it is is there a process or system that will allow me to track that yeah so i can look at it just if you go back in the olden days when i was younger uh (laughs) you know display ads they had a little code 
you know, when they right. cashed in a coupon and stuff. So they had the ability to track and say, that's working and bringing customers in. Let's that keep one's doing not. It. Absolutely. Yep. yep, exactly. We should be thinking about that, about everything and, and kind of going back to this profit first idea their thought is that let's take the profit out, let's take the salary out, let's take the taxes out, and what's left is to run the business. But that mentality doesn't it, it equates every dollar in that operating account as the same type of dollar. But if there's a dollar I can spend in that operating account that's going to get me two dollars back, why am I limiting myself, creating yes. lack thinking in my mind, yes. and limiting myself by saying, oh, there's only $900 left in the operating account. That's all I can spend. That's my budget for growing yes. my business. Yeah. And so I think it limits the growth. Yeah. And we need to think about how do we expand that and get a growth mindset yeah. through that. Yeah. I think that's huge. That's a big one. And that's, I see... It's something we just can't ignore. And it's how I still see a big mistake about the psychology of and thinking of money that people have is like they they think it's just about minimizing their expenses. Like Chelsea was when she came in, was like, we got to cut down these Facebook ad. And what I do instead to compromise is it's no, no, no. I'm not going to spend less, but I am going to work on ways to lower my cost per lead so that we can get more leads. Get more But out. I still want to spend, I mean, and I, I say this all the time and people laugh at me, but I have a regret every time we do a launch and it's, why didn't we spend more? And then we started bumping up, you know, why didn't we spend more? I wish we would have spent more. But then we bump up against the problem of we're maxing out how much we can spend that Facebook will actually put like a cap on your daily yes. limit and that becomes frustrating. It's like, I'm trying to give you more money, Mark. Yeah. Mr. Zuckerberg, and you won't take it. Yeah. Uh, I think 5000 a day was the last cap they gave us, and we're like, you got to be kidding me. Push it up, because I got stock in Facebook, and, and that'll... <laughs> you want that to go up, I too. want the price to go up. Right, right. Okay, but there are other types of expenses we need yeah. to look at, and what would be the next one to, to, that's really mindful well, for... Well, I think that one is is your labor costs. Okay. You oh, know? Yeah, that's always that's always the big one. Because a lot of people they they question, oh God, I don't, I don't, I can't afford to hire. Mm-hmm. You know, there are times where you you can't afford not to hire. Totally. In fact, what I've always said, of course, is that the reason you can't afford to hire is because you haven't hired anyone, which means you're losing money by doing the things that you shouldn't be doing that don't make you money. And if you actually got that time back and you were wise, you would spend that new time that you got doing things that did make you money. And yes. that would grow the business. And that's how we, we've always seen it is people are waiting until the business is at a certain level of growth before they hire. Now, again, people hire too fast and they can implode a company. You, you know, you've seen it, you've heard stories of it. So I'm not saying do that, but um, hire for that next phase of growth. Don't wait until you're at that growth to give yourself permission. It's that next person that's going to give you the space and time back you need to have that growth. But labor costs is, is usually always the biggest cost. And I, I tell my seven figure groups that that's, that's usually going to be your biggest expense in the business, in this type of business, for sure. It, it is. And they become your champions. They become your mm -hmm. cheerleaders. When you, and then you hit it in the sense of you hire wrong, you, it can cost, but hire slow, fire fast. We've probably heard that phrase about a billion times yep. and I've never heard something more cliche that is more true. It, it absolutely is. There is one of the most profoundly simple, true statements on the planet is hire slow, fire fast. Without oh my goodness. Doubt. Oh, yeah. And being really clear that, that you know, people think I'm going to hire. I got to take on this huge obligation. No, 
take them on for five hours a week to start, 10 hours a week to start. Because guess what? You got to test it. You got to figure out, do they fit the culture? Do they fit the values? Do they fit the vision? Are they going to fit the, the team? And we don't do that by making a huge investment in them. We run a process, a 90-day kind of trial period for both sides. They got to feel good about it, too. Right. Oh, yeah. It's two-way street for sure. Can you share what is the difference between fixed and variable costs? Yeah, absolutely. So variable costs typically adjusts as your your revenue goes up. So variable costs. So I'll give you an example. Okay. Uh-huh. So let's say we have a customer who buys one of our programs. Every customer who buys gets a physical gift in the mail. That's so that vari- would be a variable that's cost. That's a variable cost. If you have more customers, you're going to have to buy more gifts. Right. Great. Okay. So that's a variable cost. Yep. The expenses go up. And then typically proportionately. Proportionately. Yeah. Okay. And then a fixed cost. Fixed cost would be something like your rent on the office. Yeah. So it's it's the same thing every month and it doesn't adjust based on your activity. Yes. Now this isn't this is important to know these distinctions. Oh yeah. Because let's say you're selling a group coaching pro or a retreat. Let's say you're selling a retreat. There will be fixed costs involved with that retreat, like the venue. And so to go all right, it costs five grand for this venue. There's your fixed cost. And now you know that if you have, let's say you're selling at a thousand bucks a pop, every person you add on after those first five, that increases that profit margin. Without a doubt. And without increasing any more expenses. Exactly. And the important thing about that is you know what something that's called your break even point is. Yes. So I know that in that example, that five is my break even point. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, I'm going to get, I'm going to make sure that we get that five and keep on going because now we know that it's all going to add to the bottom line. Yes. So having just these distinctions, I think, is, is very important because, like, we do things like retreats and events and stuff like that. And we have to have, we have budgets for those. We have budgets for those so that we can keep that profit margin safe. I almost look at it as like the same way it feels like sometimes everyone's trying to take your time all day long, right? You know, you have distractions and people and everything. It's like, is that money's trying to be taken in a sense. And so you got to really like set up this boundary protecting the money from both sides. Like, no. And that's what I feel like a budget does. It's like, nope, this is where, this is where these costs are going to stop at for something like that, like fulfillment on this retreat to give a specific example. And so, you know, some, and I've, you know, done stupid things like this where it's like, <laughs> hey, I got an idea. We're doing this event. This is a perfect example. Like we have this big event. It costs a lot of money to run the event, by the way, guys, which we love. We don't mind. But then I do stupid stuff like, hey, guys. At the last minute. At the last minute. <laughs> hey, guys, I have a great idea. Let's get life-size Lego logos built for the event. <laughs> And then we go and find that someone will do it for like $4,000. There's a fantastic example of an expense that is fixed in the sense that it's it's not going up in proportion to how many people are there. So it's just this, it's this expense. And it's also not anything that has a direct attribution to ROI revenue no. sales. It's not like someone said, you know, I wasn't going to buy James, but when I saw that logo, I knew I had to join, <laughs> right? So that's me being an idiot sometimes, but at the end of the day, I go, well, I want Legos in my office, so why not? So we're mindful of that. So there's a budget in that sense. So here's, I would call that a discretionary expense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's, what's, a, what's that's, a a dis- nice, that's a nice way of putting yeah, it. Yeah. And what's a discretionary expense? What does that mean? <laughs> that... In all likelihood, the experience 
probably wouldn't have changed without it. <laughs> okay, so that is a real euphemism right there. Okay, <laughs> got it. All right. Well, what are your thoughts on like the whole idea of write-offs and you know spending money that way? Because when we first noticed like big tax bills, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly, but it encouraged me a lot to spend more money on things that kind of did feel discretionary at the time. Like, you know what? It's time for a new camera. Uh, it's time for another drone. And I'm going to use them in the business. They're going to help grow the business, but we probably would have done just fine without them. What are your thoughts on this? So, uh... <laughs> I'm laughing because I kind of do the same. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. I kind of do the same thing because I got a new drone too. But the reality is that, so from a, a recommendation standpoint, what I would say is that if it's, we don't use the taxes to make the financial decision make sense. Say, say that so okay. I really understand that. Okay. So in other words, if it's a not a good financial decision to make this purchase and the only way that it makes sense is oh I'm going to get a deduction just the deduct right do not do it that's like the perk or the benefit yes yeah, yeah. so for me it's you know we we make a lot of videos so yeah. having a drone is something that helps the videos it's also something I want and oh by the way it's a good write off right okay yeah. not just like we just need to buy some stuff well that's it because i i've had the clients when i when i had my cpa firm i had clients that come in and said we're going to go get in a bigger office and i said why and they said well i because it'll save me money in taxes I said let's just do the math okay do you need a bigger office he says no i said so you're going to pay a thousand dollars more a month to get a bigger office because you want the tax write-offs well you're going to save 30 cents on the dollar. So you're gonna spend a thousand to save three hundred. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No. So spend the three hundred, keep the seven hundred. Instead, spend that thousand on something that will grow the business. Yes. Like why don't you do a, a campaign yes. to get more clients? Exactly. And then you can write that off too. Yes. <sighs> Simple. Yeah. Okay. That's I'm really glad I um, asked about that. So let's try this out for a second. Uh-huh. Let's say just to make simple numbers, let's say we have a business that's and again especially in our line of work, it doesn't happen this way, but it's like just this even number. But let's say you're making a consistent $10,000 a month. Can you start to share some ways that we can start to manage that money more effectively? Like um, at a $10,000 a month business, like what are some of the things I should be looking at doing, decisions I'm making, where that money does go, shouldn't go? Can you offer some ideas around that? So much like what happens in, in Profit First, one of the first things is to sit back and say taxes. Because here's the deal with taxes, mm -hmm. okay? They're not going away. <laughs> and and it's one of the only things, other than student loans, that you can't, it's really difficult to bankrupt. So, What do you mean it's really difficult to bankrupt? In other words, if I have a tax bill, yeah. I can't declare bankruptcy to avoid it. Oh, good to okay. know. Okay. That's one. Yeah. Two, the the other thing to realize for those of you that hire and have employees, not contractors, but employees where you're withholding taxes from their, their for them. From for them on their paychecks, you make damn sure that those taxes get paid every month or every quarter, whatever your payment schedule is, to the government because if those are not paid, they're called trust fund taxes, that's actually looked at like stealing from your employees. It's a no-no. It's a bad thing. Because you're taking the money that's withheld and then you're right. just spending it. That is stealing. It is stealing. Looked at it. That is absolutely stealing. Yeah. That's awful. So do you recommend a separate bank account for that? I mean, how do you do that? So 
this is going to sound horrible in the sense of, I don't think you need a bunch of bank accounts, okay. which is what Profit First does, but it makes it easier, okay? Because out of sight, out of mind, okay? You, yeah. you, you, so you take it out. But to me, I kind of go, who are you kidding? It's like turning your clock ahead 10 minutes and so you can hit snooze and wait an extra 10 minutes. You're just kidding yourself. Mm. But what we're talking about is creating a system until you get the discipline mm-hmm. to do the right thing. So what we what I did, and I don't you tell me if this was right or wrong, but we did this a long time ago, is I just created a mental buffer in my head of how much I always wanted to have yeah. cash in the bank that was the bottom line. It was like and for me, just to be transparent, it was a hundred thousand. It was just like that's the number that's just always there. And that's the number that like you know, it's the safety, it's in case of an emergency, it's to pay the tax bills, uh, all of that. Do you suggest anything like that? Like just in, in, in one account, it was all just in one account, but it was like, I don't, I'm not letting it go below that. So the answer is yes. Now does it- Better should, than nothing. Better than nothing. <laughs> yeah. So no, but it's basically, because I, I kind of run things the same way. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a number that I'm comfortable with I want to make sure that we don't hit below that. Yeah. Now, I also have that not only in my business, but I also have in my personal life mm-hmm. where this is my kind of that peace of mind, that emergency fund, that liquidity that I, that I need. Now, does it mean that it's all in a checking account? Maybe there's a smarter way to have that money invested or in other things. And I can't give investment advice necessarily here because I'm not a licensed investment advisor, but you can transfer it out and get some return on investment by doing that, Mm -hmm. but it's still, you still get access to it. So I think it's a way to do it. If you're not going to have separate bank accounts, yeah, you need to have something that allows you to know that you've got the funds there available. Mm -hmm. But here's even more important, especially in the kind of businesses that we run. You could have uh, the month of March where you blow the doors off a launch and you have $300,000 come in the door yeah. and then you do nothing for two months. You do nothing for three months. But what ends up happening is you're doing the happy dance, Woo-hoo, 300 grand. You know, you're going out to dinner, you're doing traveling, you're buying. You're stuff. acting like yeah. a 300,000 a month business yes. instead of a 300,000 a year well, business. <laughs> yeah. And then first things first, taxes are going to hit you at the end of the year. Yep. And now you're nine months down the road and you go, crap, I don't have it. This is probably one of the most common mistakes you see people make. It's where people get in trouble. And then what they do is they look at it and they go, I'm in trouble because I have a big tax bill and I'm sitting here in November. And so what do they do? They do another launch. Yeah. And they take that money to pay the taxes for the last year. But now they just kick the can down the road. They did their own internal Ponzi scheme. And sooner or later, that is going to come home to roost. Whoa. It is like an internal Ponzi scheme. Oh, it is. Not like you're manipulating only yourself, really. Yeah. But you're kind of lying you got to behind. yourself. Yeah. And you're, ugh, it's like you're in debt with yourself mm-hmm. in a way. Oh, wow. That's, that's profound. So I want to say what I said again, cause I thought that was pretty smart too, was like, you have a $300,000 launch. Are you now acting like a $300,000 a month business or a $300,000 a year business? Cause those are two very different ways to operate. And just cause you had it in one week, it's very easy to be like, I'm, I'm like, we, we say it like we made $300,000 in one week. It's like, yes, but don't make that assume in your life that that means $300,000 every single week for 54 weeks a year or 52 or whatever, how many weeks are, right? I mean, it's 
for some people, a launch is six month buildup. It's three months buildup. It's yeah. a month buildup. So you got to put it in the context of the bigger picture. So what I'm hearing here, let's say we got this business and it's making $10,000 a month. The first thing we want to do is already understand that what's unavoidable and inevitable is that you're going to have to pay taxes yep. on it. They are always your partner. So to, yeah. So to already start to allocate whether that's the same account or separate, they, doesn't matter. That's up to that. Yeah. Them, and that's up to you if you want yeah. to do that. And to not touch that. Do not touch it. Do not touch that. Absolutely not. Okay, great. So you're doing that. And then of course, like, do you recommend paying quarterly just to, does that, does that make it more manageable for people? So, well, there's a from a taxing standpoint, there's a requirement to pay quarterly. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. now what happens if you don't, you get hit with some penalties and interest. It's not, yeah. they're not hunting you down. Right. Now, for some folks, I've had clients in the past that say, I'm going to use the money, I'll pay the penalties, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. But the rule is that you would pay quarterly, yep. and, and then it's now it's in their hands, and you don't have to worry about it. And it's so much lighter than... I, when I first started, I was paying yep. annually, and it was just killing me yeah just especially just write that check oh <laughs> All I want. it's a big check and you're yeah. going oh man oh, no. and, and when you're paying annually especially if you're a homeowner too mm -hmm. you know at least in california our our real estate taxes are due in december too so all of a sudden you get real estate taxes income taxes everything hitting you got the holidays then there's valentine's i mean it's just a disaster that first three months the last month and the first two months you're kind of going Holy oh cow. god yeah you know yep. Okay, what else should we kind of start to be mindful here? We're making 10000 a month. We're putting some away for our quarterly tax bill. What else? The other thing that I would do is put a percentage away for the future. Mm -hmm. um, here's, here's why I'm saying this. The majority of people in this business are solopreneurs where, or intellectual property vendors, basically. They're in the wisdom economy. So here's the challenge. You and I do a lot of... Our wives would call it stupid. We call it fun. Um, things, you know, we, we'll, we'll surf, we'll ski, we'll sled on a street when we're not supposed to um, and do those things. Here's the challenge is that you are the source of the income for the business and your life. Mm -hmm. And God forbid something happens to you. You get in 2000. Yeah, I in 2010, I had a, a bike accident. Yeah. In 2009, I had a bike accident and I was out for six months. So what happens to your ability to earn? What happens yeah. to your ability to pay bills? What happens to all of that? And so we need to realize that we need to take care of that. And I, and I think we need to put some money away for that rainy day, for that potential <sighs> possibility. And worst case happens, best case is the best case, is that you never need it. So it ends up in, in your retirement or your investment or something there. I mean, the other side of this is that I do think every one of us, especially those that are active, should think about getting some sort of disability insurance just from that standpoint what kept me going during my bike accident and when i herniated this in my back both times my disability policy wrote me a check well into the six figures wow. until i was on my feet again doing the things that i needed to do and so i didn't have to worry as much so if you're not going to put it away then insure it so you you know you're covered especially yeah. if you have family that's really good so do you have an idea of what percentage you would start to allocate for the rainy day? I would try to, to put at least 10% away. Okay, okay, great. And what I would do is put it away until, so I'm, I'm ultra conservative. I would like to see people have anywhere between 12 and 18 months worth of expenses in the bank. That's a, okay, that's a really good thing to say is have 12 to 18 months yeah. worth of expenses tucked away on top of having your allocation for yeah. taxes. Yeah. 
So what's going to happen is we'll get we'll get some pushback because they're going to go. Oh, there's no way I'm not paying. But that's the intent. That's the goal. That's the what goal. you're shooting for. It's not going to happen overnight. But the, that's the other thing too is like people forget like the longer you're in business and you're building momentum and there's consistency, like it really does start to add up. Oh, you it know, does. It's savings and that discipline and habits. It's be there before you know it. Just you, you like I told Jeremy, he's 28. I said you keep doing what you're doing by 35, the money will do all the work for you. You won't mm. ever have to do it again. Yes. So before we leave that 12 to 18 months, I know that some people may say three months, six months. Bottom line is, what are you comfortable with and what's it going to take for you to get on your feet? Mm -hmm. I look at it and go, God forbid something horrible happens. The first three to five months, people are in shock. So they're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. The next three to five months, they're searching. And the next three to five months, they're finally getting on their feet. So there's actually a method behind that. It's just a random number. No, there is some thinking behind it. But I'd rather be conservative and know that I have the extra liquidity and not need it than wish I had it. Oh, so good. So good. So, okay. Then then what? Where do you go next? So we have, what, what do we say about average for taxes and for the average person? It's like 30%? Uh, yeah, 26 to 30%. Yep. Under the new rules, it's kind of weird. Yeah. So that's, let's just round up to 30. So 40%. So we still have 6,000 a month on that 10,000 left over. Where would you start to allocate or manage that money? I would look at what my expenses are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that... Because there is going to be expenses on that. It's not just 10,000. Yeah. 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 So it's a, a percentage. And, and that's the good news about our business. The model that we have is it tends to be a higher profit margin than most. Which is the other thing. Because in Profit First, he talks about a 5% profit margin. I kind of go, that's really low. I mean, if, if, if we're running our business at a 5% profit margin then we're doing something wrong. Okay, yeah. I mean, we should be 50% and above. Yeah. Assuming, I mean, when you start putting on team and facilities and all that, it's a different ball. Yeah, you get an office like we do, you have a team like we do, we have live events, you'll narrow it down, but again... But if we're managing it, it's going to leverage up. Exactly, and that was a choice I made when you get a little older, you know, you know, Mel, um, (laughs) you you value your time more than that. And I'm like, I'm willing to sacrifice that profit margin to to have more lifestyle. Yeah. And that allows, of course, to get my time back. I get to help more people. We get to do more podcasts. We get to reach more customers. So those are the decisions I was making when it came to where I wanted to allocate those expenses. So, okay. So there's going to be some expenses in there. And so you're, so you're going to pay your overhead. You're going to pay your direct expense, those expenses. You're going to pay your investment expenses because you know that's going to drive business and drive revenue. Yeah. There are also in there would be your team costs if you have team and labor costs. Yeah. Yep. And then we need to have compensation. So a yeah. lot of times Let's we don't talk about that. We don't value our time. We don't look at our time and go. And this is where where I think Michael kind of hits the nail on this is is about, you know, wait a second. If I'm doing all this work and I'm supporting all these people and I'm doing all of this stuff and at the end of the day, I got two nickels to rub together and that's it. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Okay. Just to get a job. So I think that part of it is really understanding and targeting the the amount of income that we need to make. And knowing how much of the rest of the expenses are investment expenses that I can leverage my revenues mm-hmm. and how much is going to direct or more overhead kind of fixed expenses and things that are not directly tied to sales. Yeah. And I'll tell you this, the way I always thought was I was willing to sacrifice my own compensation in order to reinvest back in the business. And for those that are willing to do that too, I would hold off you know, 
I'd eat ramen noodles for the next 12 months if it meant the year after that I've got the million dollar business. Well, I actually agree with that. I don't see a problem with Wait, that. Wait, it sounded like you were about to say don't agree. No, 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 no. I agree with that because I don't see a problem with us realizing that we're investing in the growth of the business. Yeah. Now, I do think that it's important that while you're doing that, you're measuring and you're managing and, yes. and making sure that we are on track because you obviously you can't sustain that. Yeah. But again, it's no, you can't sustain it. And again, it's a short term decision for long term gain. And and again, a lot of the, you know, do you really need the salary that you say you got to give yourself? And what are you doing with that money is like, well, I can get nicer things. It's like maybe right now, instead of getting the Gucci belt or whatever, you put that into Facebook ads and that would be a wiser money management move. So... This is, a, I guess, a little bit of where some more tough love will come in. Bring it, yeah. Because, because I think that we get so doggone caught up in what everything looks like from the outside. I got to have the best. I got to have the newest. I got to have, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's technology, whether it's cars. And you know what? I've seen people, they're driving these beautiful cars. They're doing all these things. And I go, oh, I just want to be just like that and I go no you don't because we don't know what's under the hood of that we don't know how much in debt they are how miserable they are how awful it is because there's a lot of people that are just simply creating a facade because they want to look good and 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 do that it's a mistake and this overnight kind of gratification and trying to have all the the big toys at at 20 years old, 25 years old, 30 years old, or even 40 years old, we need to be within our means. We need to look at it and say, you know what? Screw what people are looking at from the outside. Let's do what's right for the business, for our lives, and for having the impact, and the rest of it will take care of itself. By the way, this whole overnight success thing, a lot of people will claim that they're an overnight success too. Like, I only started my business six months ago, and look how much I've made. I have yet to meet a person, and I'll I'll dive in deep with them, that is truly an overnight success, what you'll discover is that they've been doing something else for years. That the skills required for, this is important because we're comparing, oh, they've only been doing this for three months and look at where they are. No, 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 no. They've been doing this business. I, I mean, I know people that have built businesses by that lie of like, I've only been doing this for three months or whatever. And then what you discover is they've had three other failed businesses. They've been working as a, you know, in sales in this, they learned marketing here and it's a five, 10 year education and experience that they had that they then put into this. And I just have to say, like, there are just, there are a lot of skills that are required if you want that multiple six, that seven figure business. Doesn't mean you can't get started, get a client today, start generating revenue, but the consistent and consistent growing, the exponentially growing multiple six, seven and beyond figure business, the skills that they've developed takes time, it takes mastery, and there's a series of skills. Skills like communication, marketing, branding, influence, persuasion, all of that, it adds up, you know, managing, leadership. You don't just like, oh, I'm just gonna learn that all today and then start my business tomorrow. And it, and the other side of it is it doesn't make sense to try and learn it all today because you don't need it all today. Yeah. You need, there's, there's this whole idea of, just in case learning, you know, you're going to learn, 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 learn just in case you need it. And it's a whole <laughs> lot of waste of time. No, don't do that yet. Yeah. So oh, what yes. we need to look at is just in time learning. What, what do I need now mm. for my next stage or my next, the next step and do that. And I think you're, you're right on point. There are two 
absolute fallacies that are a bunch of BS that just do not exist. First off, there is no such thing as self-made. Oh, yeah. And there is no such thing as overnight. Yeah. Now, self-made, I, I mean, that's really profound because it almost has a, a paradox to it in that you can't be successful without first having personal responsibility. You're right. You have to take responsibility for your life, but no one gets there alone. No, no. So where people, and I've, I've spoken to both of these concepts and they seem to contradict, right? It's like, you got to own a hundred percent. You can't blame other people. You got to take full responsibility for your life. Uh, but at the same time, like no one got lifted up by themselves. They, they everyone it's, it's, it, t- it's, it takes a team. It takes a support it, system. It takes coaches. It takes learning. It takes mentorship. But the, di- the, where those two come together is that, you know, I have a team, I've had mentors, I've, I've learned, I've, I've, I've had people lift me up, but I take responsibility in the creation and attraction right. of, and the cultivation of those relationships. So Mel could sit here and give you amazing advice. It's which up I to you. Which you did. It's <laughs> up to you what you do with it. Yeah. And then you do something great with it. He helped lift you up. But yeah. that's on you. That's your responsibility. If you're going to take the gift he gives you here today and spit on it and say, bah, I'll wait until I'm actually at it, you know, because that's the mistake most people make. Yep. This stuff isn't important until I'm making this much money. Uh, you won't be making that no. much money until you make this important. Because uh, it's habit building. It's everything. It is. It's discipline. It's yeah. growing up in your business. It really you know, is. It's, are you, you, you might be only two years into your business, but are you going to act like a two-year-old in your business? It's time to grow up. So here's another thing that came up that was a really great distinction of almost this like indirect investment expense. This changed everything. I had a friend tell me this. I was really resistant to, you know, I had my, some of my money stuff still when this happened. And, uh, I wanted to get a new laptop. My laptop was old and it was lagging. It was out of memory. And then I go to the Mac store. Are those just stories you're telling yourself? No, no, no. It was, no, I mean, it was a piece of junk, right? It was like four years old. It was kind of embarrassing. And I go to the Mac store, the Apple store, and it was like $4,000 to get a new one. And I, I almost didn't do it. And my buddy turns to me, he's like, you run an online business from your computer. Do you want to run a business with a Ford Pinto or the Lamborghini? <laughs> that blows up when it gets rid of Yeah, exactly. And I was like, whoa. Yeah. And that's where it's almost like an indirect ex- expense, but it's yeah. like, that's my computer is my command central for the business. Why would I not invest in that? Well, so <laughs> the answer is absolutely. And as long as... Mm-hmm. You use it as long as yeah. you put it to work. Stephanie, when we were, we were, Stephanie's my wife, for those that don't know, we got this, we've got an, another house and we get this phone call that's a recorded phone call because it was fires and it says, you need to evacuate. And the scent, we're heading up to the house to evacuate. And she said, she says, um, okay, I got to think about grabbing gra- what I'm going to grab. And I said, we're grabbing the computers. And she's saying, <laughs> why? And I said, we, I said, because that's how we earn money. Yeah. And I said, everything else in the house other than the pictures. Right. It's now I online can, for I most can of recreate us. it yeah. from the computer. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, that was a great distinction for me. It's like, that's my command center yeah. for the business. Yeah. And I remember when I first, when I first got started about a year into business, my computer crashed and I had to use this dinky old Dell laptop. And I just remember I was not inspired. I could barely barely open up the internet browser and I didn't even feel good typing on it. And he was like hurting my hands. I'm like, this sucks, you know? And that, that's where 
your creation is for a lot of us a lot of the time and now it's our phones too right so if you spend a lot of time using social media like instagram and stuff from your mobile device do you have some dinky crappy old phone it's like this is our tool this is one of our top tools yeah. for business creation so this brings me to the next thing because you know i'd gotten you know we have retirement and investment plans and stuff like that and i know you know you're not qualified to give investment advice or you're not certified or whatever it is but you're qualified in that you know if you yep. have a chance to have a co- private conversation with mel he's going to really blow your mind on that but I, I read a book a couple years ago that or a long time ago actually about 2013 that i love called millionaire Fastlane. it's got one of the worst titles it's like real cheesy but it's so good and it's really about building a business as a cash flow creator to then use to invest and have your money grow for you and what i always found is you know that two-step strategy generate the revenue and then invest it was that at the end of the day the business our business is still one of the best investment vehicles i've ever found what are your thoughts and perspectives on that is continuing to see your business as an investment you know i'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that yeah so this is the two-pronged approach that I think all thought leaders need to, to think about because most of our businesses, so if you think about a traditional entrepreneur, what they do is they, they build a, a business, they build it for a number of years, and at some point they exit the business and they get this big windfall at the yeah. end. Mm-hmm. That's their retirement. We don't have the ability to do that. Most Mo- of us most, don't. Most of us yeah. don't. We've, it can be done. It, it's been done here and there, but you need to be very strategic in building it over time. Yeah. So let's assume that the majority of them don't have something that is sellable, which doesn't mean it's negative at all. It just means it is. So what we must do is create a business that generates the cash flow that allows us to invest, to build a portfolio outside the business that will take care of our retirement, take care of our investments, take care of everything else Mm -hmm. and be able to do that. So I do believe that those two investments, your outside investments, but more importantly, feeding the machine, because you use the analogy of the machine, feeding the machine especially if it's given you multiples on the return, a dollar in, two dollars out, feeding that machine becomes really important. Okay, so it's about diversification. Yes. Yeah, we- and, and one of the things I always saw was too is that like I totally said like, the more we put into this business, the more it'll grow, but what we're really growing is the brand of James Wedmore, and that, it, that would be very challenging to sell. You know, people always ask, what's yep. your exit strategy? And I, and I said, look, for someone like me, I see myself doing this for a very long time. And so I'm willing to allocate more back into the investment of the business, which generates more revenue, which has allowed us for opportunities that we investigate and we look at of growing offshoots that leverage the brand, like physical, like we've looked into physical products around, you know, video related uh, stuff, software, et cetera. So it's almost like this two pronged approach of like, it's generating cash and more revenue to invest in another business that could be sellable, but it's also something that, that the personal brand can be the thing that fuels the growth of that. But then also, yes, investing in other vehicles outside of the business. You, in effect, are building two portfolios. The portfolio of income streams in the business. Mm -hmm. It's what I talk about, the whole idea of being a portfolio entrepreneur. And the portfolio investments outside the business. Yes. And when you do that, it's it's what I did. You know, as, as a CPA, having the consulting and all that stuff, it wasn't sellable. But what we did is we built a machine. We built a second machine outside the business mm-hmm. that when we turn it on, it gives us the cash flow we need to live. And this is another 
thought with respect to money management and maybe going off on a tangent here in a little bit, but the concept of retirement in at least in the U.S. And, and primarily throughout the world is save, 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 spend, 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 and hope that your money outlasts your life. I mean, that's not a game that I want to play. No. What about save, 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 save to build a machine so you can turn a machine on so it feeds you for the rest of your life and the generations beyond? And that's what we've created. That's what I taught Jeremy to do. That's what we've talked about is how do we create two machines? My business machine that funds the lifestyle, funds the impact, funds the things we do. And then the external machine of a portfolio of investments that funds the remainder of everything we do. Yes. And I also think that you're right. You're going to do this for a long time. I'm going to do this for a long time because we're called to do this. This is not just a vocation. It's a calling. And yeah. we're going to continue to do it. 100%, 100%. Now, uh, one of the last things I want to touch on is the almost the other side of this where I chatted recently with someone who also talks about money management, wealth management, wealth creation. They touched on how having a lot of liquidity uh, just sitting in the bank is a very poor management of, of your money. It's sloppy money management. Thoughts on that? So just, just a bunch of money sitting there. Yeah, so I have a bunch of money sitting there. Um, <laughs> okay. So here's here, I totally, I, I mean, theoretically, they're absolutely correct. The dollar should be working for you. Mm -hmm. However, in order to get a return on investment, in order to get a return, we have to typically give up liquidity. Yeah, right. So, so what that does for us is is then what happens to our peace of mind, our safety, our cushion, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. If we're looking for our peace of mind fund, if we're looking for all of that type of stuff, that's going to be in liquid stuff. It's not going to earn a lot. And yeah, from a pure investment standpoint it's not going to be the highest return. Yeah. But from your peace of mind, I think we find that place that makes sense. Do I have a fair amount of cash on hand? Yeah. Do I think that there's a correction coming in the stock market? Probably. It's been going up for a while. Mm -hmm. You know, I can't predict it, but here's the other difference. I, I hesitate to say this, but there's 22 years difference between us. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to be 50, the magic 58. Okay, 58 years ago. It is magic. So if I had everything in the market and the market turned down yeah. by 30%, at 58 years old, my ability to get back to ground zero, I need a 50% increase just to get to ground zero. At 58 years old, it's a different ball game than someone that's 20, 25 years younger than me. Yeah. And so we need to make these decisions based upon our risk tolerance and our circumstances as to age and need and all of that. Mm -hmm. So the decisions that I might tell you to do, you and, and, and Chelsea do may be different than the decisions that I might do myself because I'm in a different different era, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you're gonna outlive all of us. Who are we kidding? I am because I'm as honorary as hell and I'm not ready to go. Yeah. And and you're as young as they come at heart. So. Yeah, yeah. You'll stay young forever. Okay, well, this has been amazing. I know we could talk about this for hours. Yeah. This might have gone over your head. You might want to notice where if you got uncomfortable during this, if you resisted it, if you felt some anxiety come up, guess what? Those are all signs that you need to be paying extra close attention to this. What's the whole thing of like, 
you know, meditate every day. And if you don't have time, meditate longer, right? You're like <laughs> meditate five minutes a day. And if you don't have time to do that, meditate for 10 minutes, right? It's the same thing here. Those that felt the most uncomfortable here in this episode, talking about these things, you're the ones that need it the most. I totally agree. And I think that doing something's better than doing nothing. Get in the game, get your money smarts up, you know, make sure that you're checking the pulse on the patient. Make sure you have that, that optic the one last thing that I would say is if you have a life partner or, or, you know, a wife, a husband or something, as much as they don't, maybe they want to delegate it to you, get them involved because mm. it's, it's a family affair. I mean, my son is involved. My wife's involved. We have these conversations. You know, maybe we'd be in a different place. We say don't talk about politics, sex and, and money, but maybe we'd be in a different place if we had those conversations. So first of all, Mel, I want to thank you again so much for taking the time out of your schedule just to be here to share so freely because I think something that our listeners may not know is that this is not like you're not going to send him to a free report to your funnel to go sell your online course. This is not something he does and teaches. This is not his business. No. He's, he's doing this just to share, just to give, because he sees how, we both do, how pervasive of an issue this is. How businesses that have great starts implode because the entrepreneur was unwilling to develop the habits and the discipline of effective money management. They can make it, they just can't keep it. And so thank you, Mel, for just sharing and giving so freely from the bottom of your heart without any attachment, without like, okay, go buy my stuff now. And, you know, that's it. It's just, it's just you sharing. And yeah, absolutely. I, I love that. Now, I know a lot of you guys already follow Mel in some capacity, whether it's on his Instagram or his podcast. But if you're not already listening to his podcast where he talks everything about becoming an influencer, an authority, and a thought leader around your content, around your expertise, your wisdom, I want you to go subscribe to his podcast right now on iTunes. We'll link it up in the show notes. It's called The Difference Makers Podcast. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about some of the stuff you talk about there? Yeah, really, it's about how do you build an authority brand? How do you, an authority brand that matters? The, most of us that are in this space want to make a difference in people's lives with our knowledge. We want to solve problems. And so how do we do that? It's not about likes. It's not about thumbs up. It's not about posting something on the web. It's about real deep thinking that gets them to behave differently, gives them new results. So helping them understand how do you create content? How do you resonate? How do you get your positioning? And how do you build stuff that's sustainable? It's, a, it's such a fascinating conversation. And I always geek out when Mel brings this stuff up because, and we've talked about it on the app, on the podcast before, but how many of you listening struggle with communicating and putting words to the stuff that you do it's so huge it's so huge and then and then even when you do put words to it is it even something that lands for your listener and your audience do they even get it or are they just as confused as they were before and there is a formula and a framework for creating frameworks and formulas in your business and if you are a thought leader if you are an authority you can't ignore that. You just, no, you can't. You just can't say, well, I'm, that's, you know, it's another thing that we just need to pay attention to. I, I heard I heard this saying once that you can do your business either through guesswork, hard work, or frameworks. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And I choose one. frameworks. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. so go follow Mal. Go listen to his podcast and he'll, he'll show you this demonstrating action just beautifully, eloquently. Make your stuff simple. There's this quote. I, I've said it now a couple of times. I freaking love this. I think it was Frank Kern that said this. Is if you want to impress people, make it yeah. complicated. 
But if you want to actually help people, make it simple. Yeah. And I think when you have a simple approach to helping other thought leaders make their thoughts simple, their frameworks simple, their their message simple, wow, now we were helping a heck of a lot of people. So thank you again, Mel. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Again, we just, we're starting a conversation. If you guys have questions about any of this, it's coming up. Let Mel or I know. Send us a DM on the Instagrams. We'll link up both our handles over on the show notes for it. And let us know. If we need to do more episodes, we need to have more of a dialogue conversation about this. But this is just like, we can't just call ourselves marketers anymore. Because companies have a marketing team. And a business is so much more than that. And if we do not have the business acumen and the money management skills and know-how, then you just got a bucket with a big hole in the bottom. And every time you put something in, it's falling right out the bottom. And when that happens, what happens to the difference in the impact you're trying to make? Yeah, it goes away. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time here on the Mind Your Business Podcast. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I want to show you how to think, act, and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be so you can step into the vision that you have for your life and your business. And the best part is, this program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash activate, and we can get started right now.